0: Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it you can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com.
1: If I'm already forgiven of my future sins, if all this is by grace, then why does it, how, why does it even matter how I live? I see heads shaking up and down. That's good. Because this is a question I wrestled with from when I was 18 years of age until I was 30, uh, to, almost 32 years of age. Well, let's just take a look at some scripture this morning. Ephesians 2. We're not going to answer this question. This is five weeks, okay? We're not going to answer this question this morning. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So apparently our salvation, that is everything we now have in Christ, is by grace through what? Come on, by grace through what? All right. So that even means that whatever we have in heaven, whatever it is, is a result of grace through what? Thank you. I used to think that the square footage of my mansion in heaven was determined by what I did here on earth. Anybody else think something like that? All right. Several of us, right? And so the, the more good I did, the less sinning I did, I was like, man, I'm like having a little addition, you know, a little game room, you know, <laughs> extra bling, you know, some, you know, big screen TV, you know. Um, <laughs> but what does the scripture say? That we have what we have by grace through faith, not the result of works. Otherwise, we'd boast, wouldn't we? Let's be honest, Steve. Wouldn't we boast if we could add to whatever we have in Christ by what we did? I know we would boast. If you wouldn't boast, I'd boast. If this whole square footage thing is that, if that's the way it worked, you know, I'd walk around and see, hey, you know, brag about my extra bedrooms, you know, and and go down to the guy who only has a two-room shack and be like, sorry, man, (laughs) should have done what I did, you know, go in the ministry, you know, go plant a church, you know, all these things, and you'd have what I have because that's the sinful reality of boasting. But God's very clear on this. We have what we have all by grace through faith. So let's really understand what that means. Your sanctification, right? that's a big fancy church word for your holiness. Your holiness, does it come by your effort or does it come by grace through faith? Grace through faith. Your righteousness, does it come by your effort or does it come by grace through faith? grace through faith. Our reward, whatever it is, which by the way, it's Jesus. It comes by grace through faith. Our perfection. Hebrews says that we've been made perfect. That comes by grace through faith. Our intimacy with God, by grace through faith. Our place as sons and daughters of the Most High. Guess what? By grace through faith. And the complete pardon of all of our sins by grace through faith. If this is true, and I mean, we're just reading what's on the screen, then it raises this question. It should raise this question. Well, does it therefore matter how we even live? Does our conduct even count? If we have everything we have by grace through faith and not our works, not of works, then why bother living a godly life? I mean, does that sound logical? I mean, does it is it connecting? Again, this is what I wrestled with for years. Let me ask you a couple of probing questions. What do you think would happen if you took a criminal who had committed a crime and then you, as a judge, said to that criminal, okay, look, you can do this again and you're not going to get in trouble for it? What do you think that criminal is going to do? He's going to criminalize, commit crimes. We know this. In fact, I did some research. The Department of Justice, the Bureau of Justice released a report in 2012 that said that 77% of criminals who had been punished for their original crime were rearrested within five years of being released from prison. I mean, 77% of criminals who had paid a penalty, I mean, they were in prison, they were rearrested for another crime within five years. So, So think with me. If this message of the finished work of Christ is true, then what we're saying is if you tell that criminal you have no consequence for any future sins, how many more than 77% are going to go out and redo crime, take punishment off the table? And so this is the tension that we have. I'm not a smart man, and looking amongst you, well, I'll just leave it there. But if 77% of criminals repeat their crimes when they had been punished for the crime, how many more cr- crimes would these criminals commit if there was no punishment whatsoever? Let me say it this way If 77% of criminals who actually get punished for their crimes go on to commit more crimes, what in the world was God thinking when He wiped your slate clean? No punishment? No judgment? No penalty, no condemnation, no guilt, no price to pay. What was he thinking? Doesn't God realize that if 77% of criminals who actually pay a price for pay a penalty, they rec- do a crime, doesn't he realize that even more will commit crimes if there's no punishment at all? I don't usually title sermons, but here's the title for this morning's sermon. Ready? God is not that dumb. God is not that dumb. Now, let me make sure you understand what I'm saying. Yes, we have been forgiven of all of our past sins. Think of a sin you've ever done. It has been removed from the very remembrance of God. Think of any sin you're doing right now. That sin has been forgiven, wiped from the very remembrance of God. Think of any sin that you're going to do tomorrow. That sin has been forgiven, wiped from the very remembrance of God. But God's not dumb enough to just, and I emphasize just, God's not dumb enough to just forgive sinners. He's He's not dumb enough to just pardon a criminal. He's much smarter than that. And so today, for our few minutes we have remaining, we're just going to look at what in the world was it that he did then, if it's not just pardoning criminals? Because criminals, when they're pardoned, they sin again, and they sin again, and they sin again. So what in the world is God up to? Let's start back at the beginning. You know, Genesis 1. First couple chapters of Genesis, we read that God created all that is, and in chapter one and then into chapter two, it talks about how he created Adam and Eve. And he told Adam and Eve that they could do anything and everything they, would, they wanted to, but they could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely what? Die. Now, does God not want us to know what is right and what is wrong? I don't think that's the case. I think he wants for he himself to be the source of what's right and what's wrong, not some, not some other entity that they took into themselves called moralism or whatever. He's vehemently opposed to us trying to determine right and wrong by some other source than he himself. So we know what happens. There's no suspense, right? Um, Adam and Eve, they ate of the tree, and immediately they died. Not physically, but they died spiritually. They were as dead. When they ate of that tree, they were as dead to God as you and I were when we entered this world through our first birth completely separated from Him. Now look at chapter 5. So this is just a few chapters later. Chapter 5 says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In that day, God created man, and He, God, made man in the likeness of God. We all know that, right? Let us make man in our image. So this is not, you know, new territory. He, God, created them male and female. He blessed them and named them man in the day in which they were created. Nothing new there. But we know what happened in Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, they no longer bore the image of God because sin had come in and destroyed the image of God. And so look at verse 3. This is powerful. This is huge. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son. Look at this. It's in bold red for your, you know, emphasis of his own likeness. And according to His image and named him Seth. So Adam was created in the image of God. Adam sinned and lost the image of God. And now Adam's having kids who are no longer born, no longer created in the image of God, but created in the image of who? We can say it, the image of Adam. Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. This is huge. This is huge. So here's our question is God so dumb that he's just going to forgive the children of Abraham, the children of Adam of their sin and just leave it there? Is he dumb enough to just forgive a sinner and then just and not do anything else because a forgiven sinner is just going to sin. A forgiven criminal is just going to commit crimes. So what is God's plan and I really hope that the Spirit of God resonates and and, and reveals this and and makes sense of this because it's too big for me to try to describe. But the plan of God was not simply to forgive the children of Adam. Please listen. The plan of God, this is life-changing, was to end the offspring of Adam. The plan of God was to plunge the entire human Adamic race into death and then create a whole new race, a whole new people, which Peter calls a royal nation, a holy priesthood. God's plan was to end the very life that we got from Adam because we were created in Adam's likeness, and that wasn't God's desire. He wants us created in his likeness. And so the first creation was destroyed. The first creation became worthless because of sin. And the whole plan of God was to end that race, and create a brand new people. Here's what we have to see. God didn't simply forgive sinners. Yes, we are forgiven. But a forgiven sinner has no desire to stop sinning. God's plan was to plunge the entire human race into death and to create a whole new people. You know, the Old Testament is all about this. Jesus says, if you read the Old Testament, you're actually reading about who? You know this, John 5 reading about who? Jesus. Jesus says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me before Moses wrote about me. So all the Old Testament is actually about Jesus. And so if you're reading through the Old Testament, you're not asking the question, what is this revealing about Jesus? Then you're probably not going to get what the Old Testament is even about. It's powerful. And so all of the Old Testament is actually showing picture after picture of the plunging to death of, of a race to bring a whole new race, a whole new people. Think of the flood wickedness had come to the entire world. And God had had a shadow. He had a picture of something that would become real later on. And he created a boat through the person of Noah. And he invited anyone to come into the boat, but only Noah's family entered in. And this boat, protected Noah from, and his family from the very wrath of God against the sin of man. And when the waters receded and everything was finished, Noah and his family walked out of the boat into a world, now, sure, the same earth, but into a world that they had never been before, a place that they had never experienced before. There was no wickedness. There was no sin. There was no, uh, no, no death. They'd never been in a place like that before. Well, that is a picture, a shadow of this plunging to death that would, of the entire Adamic race and a boat, a safety, a place, a person, Jesus Christ, through whom we enter and the wrath of God is received by the Christ so that we now through Christ exit into a whole new place, a place where we've never been before, a place of flowing with milk and honey, with blue skies and a bow that says, I will never, ever do anything like this again because my, my wrath has been satisfied once and for all in the person, and the work of Jesus Christ. The ark, a picture of the Christ. Now, I wish I had time to go through the wilderness and and through all these different examples in the Old Testament. We just don't have time to do that. But the whole Old Testament, or picture after picture, of the plunging to death of a people and a raising of another people. Well, 2,000 years ago, there were no more pictures, no more symbols, no more types, because this time the God of the universe took on flesh and he actually did it in real life time and space. As Jesus is walking to the cross just a day or two before the crucifixion, he says in John chapter 12, this is so powerful, now is the judgment of the world. A lot of times when we think of judgment, we think of future. We think of something yet to happen, and Jesus is saying now is the judgment of the world. I am about to be lifted up on this cross, and that is the judgment of the world. What is the judgment of the world? it's death. The wages of sin is what? Death. So judgment and sin is the same thing. They're synonymous. The judgment for your sin is death. The judgment for Adam's sin, death, the judgment for the world, the death of the world occurred the day that the last Adam hung on a tree. This man named Jesus. God's plan again was to terminate the entire Adamic race on the cross not through a shadow this time, not through a picture, not through a a boat, but in reality. God becoming a man to represent the entire human race, and he suffered the wrath of our sin, death. Well, we know that Jesus didn't stay dead, of course. Three days later, he rose from the dead, There's a whole new day. There's a whole new land. Jesus' death actually opened up a portal, opened up a way. Jesus said, I am the way, a way for us to be rescued from this domain of darkness and be transferred into a whole other kingdom, the kingdom of the beloved son. You remember back to the ark? When Adam and and Eve, when Noah and his family stepped out of the ark, they stepped into a place where they had never been before. They stepped into a place where there's nothing but blue skies. And that's exactly what happens for you and for me. When we walk into Christ, we go into a place where there's nothing but the joy and the presence of the Lord, a whole new land, no sin, no death, no wickedness at all. Look at Romans chapter five, verse 19. Paul says, for by one man's disobedience, who's that? Starts with an A and ends with a damn Adam, all right? by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners. But also by one man's obedience, who's this guy, Jesus, the last Adam, Paul calls him, many will be made righteous. So just as all who came from Adam were sinners, just as in the same way, all who come from Jesus will be righteous, this whole new creation. And this is huge. God doesn't just forgive sinners. He actually takes a sinner and turns that sinner into righteousness. We all know that if you just pardon a criminal, the criminal is going to just commit a crime again. We know this. But God's plan wasn't just to pardon criminals, but it was actually to kill the criminal to actually slaughter all those who come from Adam, and that's us, so that a brand new life could come forth, a brand new life that's now created in the very image of God. I mean, we can all agree, right? We can all agree that God's not dumb, I think, right? We can agree that he's wise. He's not dumb. He didn't just forgive sinners, but he's ended the life that came from Adam so that he could recreate. That's the whole point of the new creation. He could recreate a brand new life in his own image. Remember back to Genesis 5, we just saw it on the screen. In whose image, when you were born into this world, in whose image were you born? Whose image did you bear? Was it God's image or was it Adam's image? It was Adam's. It might be news to us, but that's just what the scripture says. We're born in the image of Adam. And that's the whole point of the gospel to end that image, to end that life so that a whole new creation could be born that is righteous in every single way. And you know, God really couldn't get more clear than this when he told it, said this to Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel's in the Old Testament. And this was written, I don't know, some seven 700 years before Christ even walked on the, on the planet. And this is what God said to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. You got it? There it is. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. So God is promising, yes, I am gonna forgive sinners. I'm gonna cleanse you. I'm going to forgive you. He's talking about the blood of Christ. You are going to be clean. But he doesn't stop there. He's not that dumb. He doesn't just stop there. Look at what he says. In addition, or moreover, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to give you a new what? Heart. That speaks of desires. I'm going to give you a new heart. And more than that, I'm going to put a new spirit in you. So actually a brand new human spirit with new desires. Well, how are you going to do that, God? Well, I'm glad you asked. I will remove the heart of stone, those desires that are from Adam. I'm going to remove that. I'm gonna cut it out. This is what Paul talks about in Colossians 2, the circumcision of Christ. I'm gonna cut it out, remove the heart of stone and I will give you, there's grace. Don't earn it, you don't deserve it, at least I don't, but I'm gonna give you a heart, he calls, that's a flesh, that is a heart that's actually alive, a heart that actually beats with my desires. And I will, on top of all that, here's your cherry, I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. How in the world can we walk in his statutes? Because he's given us his desires in our new heart. And I will be careful. You will be careful to obey all, observe all my ordinances. So now we have a new heart. We have a, with new desires, a new spirit that's compatible with the spirit of God in all ways. The spirit of God is now in us in perfect union. And God is saying that this new heart, this new spirit, it is such, he created it in such a way that it actually walks, it actually talks, it actually lives in perfect compatibility with God. And that's who you are in Christ. That's your new life in Christ. Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 6. I think it's verse 17. Is that right? Yeah. He says, he says, thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the what? Heart. So apparently at one point in time, we were all, no matter who you were, sorry to bust your bubble, we were all slaves of sin, dead in our iniquities and the uncircumcision of our heart. But how can we be perfectly obedient now, according to God? Because he's given us this new heart that we are now obedient from. So what's the, what am I trying to say here? God's no dummy. He didn't just take you, Debbie, take you, uh, Larry, take you, anyone. He didn't take you and just forgive your sins. He's not that dumb. He actually ended what you had from Adam, the old man. He actually plunged it into death so that he could create a new you with new desires, a new heart. And you know, you've got a coffee mug, a bumper sticker, something that says this next verse, but do we even see what it means? Galatians 2.20, I have been what? Crucified. I, everything that came from Adam, has been crucified. I died. Nevertheless, I live. It's on the screen, right? Maybe. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, this new life, I, see, I was created in the image of Adam, sinful, wicked in all ways, but I died and now I have a new life, In this new life, look at, me, look at this, which, is, uh, which I now live in this body, in the flesh, I now live by faith. I live by complete and absolute 100% dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the old man is full of independence, full of, you know, I know the right and wrong, you know, because, you know, my forefather Adam, he ate from the tree. And God said, no, that's not it at all. We're ending that to create a whole new people that is now dependent upon the very person and work of Jesus Christ day in and day out. You see, coming to Jesus isn't, and this is what I used to think coming to Jesus, getting saved was. I used to think it was this idea of, you know, Jesus, I give you my life so that you could, you know, work on it and make it what you want it to be. And so that eventually, you know, I start to, you know, be better, something like that. But that's not what the gospel says the salvation thing is coming to Jesus now is coming to him so that he could take your old life your origin your core of who you were and actually what kill it end it terminate it so that he could create a whole new you that is dependent by faith in the son of god leaning on him for every piece Of life. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus says, and you can help me out with this, it's not on the screen. In the Gospels, it says that Jesus says, if any man or anyone would come after me, he must do three things. What are those things? Help me out. He must, yeah, all right, there you go. Somebody paid attention in Sunday school. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Let's just really quickly, we don't have much time, let's look at those. Deny himself all right? What were you from Adam? <laughs> well, I mean, what good were you? But you were a sinner. You were separate from God. You were thought you had it all figured out, but you were destined for an eternity separated from God. And Jesus is saying, if you want some of this, you've got to deny your roots in Adam. It's repentance. It's changing your mind about who you are and now desire who you will be in Christ. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Cross, you know, I used to think, oh, what's your cross to bear? Oh, you know, I've got this financial burden or whatever, my cross to bear. I think, no, no, no. Crosses kill. Crosses are not burdens. You know, I got a house that's on the market, you know. That's just life. Taking up your cross is taking up a absolute rejection from this world because of a death. And then he says, and follow me. Do you know, read it for yourself in Mark. I think it's Mark uh, 8, maybe 9. Read it for yourself. Where was Jesus actually physically, literally walking to when he said, follow me? Anybody know? Starts with a J and ends with a Jerusalem. Anybody? Jerusalem. All right, right on. He was walking to Jerusalem, listen, to die. I want that to sink in. He said, if you want to come with me, then come on. We're going to Jerusalem to die. So if you want what Jesus has, you must die. And listen, you have died if you trust Christ. You have died, Doug. You've died, Brandon. Joey, you've died. And you say, well, wait a second there, big shot. Wait a second there. I'm sitting here. I got a heartbeat. and no, I'm not dead. Guys, come on. Come on look beyond what we can see and look to the reality that lies just below the skin. There's a spirit, there's a soul, there's a whole core of your identity of who you are. You died when you were placed into Christ. You were, Paul says in Romans 6, don't you know that you who have been placed into into Christ have been placed into his death? You died. You died and a spiritual heart surgery has taken place god has cut out the core of who you were everything who you were from adam he cut it out so that he could create a new you that is righteous and holy in every single way possible entirely new entirely new identity entirely new origin an entirely new life with entirely new desires a new heart So let's wrap this thing up. Our first week in this journey of five of does conduct, does it even matter? Does it even count? Apparently, and I could be wrong on this. Please don't take my word for anything. Apparently, conduct counts so much to God that his plan was to actually end your sinful origin in Adam so that a whole new righteous life could be birthed. That according to uh, 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 Paul in Romans 6, remember we saw that in in according to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, this new life that actually walks and talks and lives in perfect obedience the same way that God himself does. In fact, and I debated putting this on the screen because it just sounds so crazy, but it is the scriptures, and so we'll just blame it on the Holy Spirit. John, First John, this is the Apostle John, you know, the Apostle John, the one that was there at the cross, you know, holding Mary. He writes, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed, the seed of God remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. So let's read that and ask the question, does conduct matter to God? Oh, man, it matters so much that he's created you with a brand new heart, that your new heart, who you really are now at the core, doesn't even sin. Now, if you've been through a day of 24 hours with this guy, you know that sin comes from this guy, right? And you're shaking your head, Bob, in agreement. Thanks a lot. That's not a good place for an amen, my friend. So what's the deal? What gives? Listen, John is not saying that sin doesn't come forth from your flesh. John is identifying that it is not that which is born of God that does the sinning. Does that make sense to us? There's been a separation. There's been a cutting away. The flesh is where sin lives and reigns, and its desires are sinful desires. Its desires are to kill you, to destroy you, to take your life if it could. But your desires are the very desires of the heart of God because he has given you his, a new heart that is born from him. Here's our journey marker for this morning. And it's kind of longer. I apologize. I try to shorten it. But conduct counts so much, okay? Conduct counts so much that God killed, crucified, if we want to be more precise, that God killed and then cut out your criminal core, your heart, your spirit, your origin from Adam. He killed it and cut it out. And then he created a clean core, a new heart and a new spirit that according to John, that according to Ezekiel, that according to Paul in Romans 6, cannot even commit a crime the new heart, the new man. So here's my last question for you this morning. And for me, do you believe, do you see that you died? Do you really see that you died? Because if you don't see that you died, then we're going to be haunted for the rest of our existence between some sort of, you know, two places of Adam and Christ. We've got to see that we died. Do you also see that every single wicked desire of yours died as well? Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, that those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Now, we all know that there are sinful passions and desires that are in this body, in this flesh. But we have to see that they're not yours. Because you've been given a new heart. Do you see that you, along with all of your criminal desires that you got from Adam, your father, all of it has ended. And there was a plunging to death in the body of Christ, your old life for a new life to come forth. Those evil, sinful desires were your desires. Absolutely. Back before you were born again, you were a slave to it. They were your desires but not anymore. Think about pride. Think about pride. Pride is the desire of sin that lives in your flesh. Your true desire, according to the scripture, is to serve one another because that's the very heart of God. The son of man did not come to be served, but rather to serve, and he has birthed his spirit into you. So that's your desire but you say, but I feel this pride all the time. Yeah, sure, I do too. We're always gonna feel it, but it's not yours. That is from the sin that lives in your members. Think about lust, sexual sin, heterosexual sin, homosexual sins, whatever, sexual sins. Those are the desires of sin that lives in your flesh. But do you know what your true desires are? To love as Christ loved you. Addictions, the desires of sin in the flesh. But your desire is to find your contentment in Christ alone. Slander. I mean, we could go through all the list. Thinking poorly about your own body. We could go through the whole list. Those are the desires of sin that live in your flesh. But your desire is to see your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your desire is to edify one another in brotherly love and kindness to the building up of the body of Christ. So God's plan was to end the Adamic race so that he could create a new race, a new people of his own possession that are actually created, as Ephesians 4.24 says, in his image. And I just believe, and you guys can come on up. We're going to sing a little bit. I just believe that the only way for us to really experience victory and freedom over these sins that are in our members is to truly believe that we have died and those desires are not ours. Man, they feel like ours. Man, the the sin has worked its programming fingers into our minds to the point where we are are programmed in our thinking to think that there are desires. And that's why the call of the apostles is what? Set your mind on Christ. And by doing so, there is a renewing of the mind, a renewing of the mind to see through the garbage, to see through the bad programming and see the truth that your desires, your new heart is as righteous and holy as the Lord's is. So does conduct count? (sighs) Apparently so. Apparently so much so that he killed the old man and created a new man that actually walks in the spirit in the ways in which he does. Now, next week, and the week after, and the week after, we'll start talking about, okay, how does that new man who is righteous in all ways, how does that start coming up from and through us? You see that? Because it is righteous, and it walks perfectly. Well, dead gummit, I want to see that guy, who I really am, start living out in this world, in my relationship with my wife, in my relationship with you, with my kids. So we're going to get into that. But we have to see that you died. If you don't believe that, the rest of it, it doesn't matter. It just becomes religious mumbo-jumbo. Agreed? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for your love towards us. We thank you that we get to sing here about how amazing you are, That you're not dumb. I love it. You're not, you're not that dumb to just forgive a sinner. You actually have changed us at the core a whole new creation that lives inside of the body of an old creation. Father, help us to be who you've made us to be. No, help us to live in this world for what you've already made us to be. We love you. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stand and just celebrate this by just singing how wonderful, how marvelous, how amazing our God is.
0: Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.